0: If you please uh, join me in Proverbs chapter 16. It's printed in your bulletin. It's also on page uh, 539 in the Pew Bible. Our passage, is, our passage this morning is from a section of Proverbs by King Solomon of Israel. And Proverbs is a really unique book in the Bible. Most of us know what Proverbs are. They're pithy statements, they're meant to contain or imply greater truth. And sometimes they're just observations about the way the world works, and sometimes they give us advice. But uh, the biblical Proverbs were given to God's covenant people to make them wise about the world and about God. They were about all kinds of subjects. Money, sin, government, marriage, neighbors, kings, justice, our speech, our families. These Proverbs, they make their points through sayings and observations, and advice and warnings the proverbs in the bible have an added spiritual dimension because they're inspired by god himself he wants to make us wise about him in this passage we gain insight about the way he works especially the re- the relationship between our plans and god's plans so these truths are going to be encouraging to us this morning read along with me at the beginning of chapter 16 The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that your spirit would guide us this morning, that we would be able to see great things from this text, uh, that you would make our hearts open to it, that you would transform us by it. Please be with me as I attempt to uh, make these truths clear. I pray for everyone here that uh, they would gain joy and just be changed by this. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you a little bit about my favorite movie. It's called Serenity. Uh, It's directed by the same man who directed Marvel's uh, really popular Avengers movies. So I'm a geek, I admit it. Uh, If you haven't seen Serenity, I'm sorry, spoiler alert, you've had ten years to see it. So (laughs) if you haven't seen it, I'm assuming you weren't planning on it. But uh, the movie portrays a band of outlaws. And they're on the run from a government operative who's after them for harboring an enemy of the state. And this enemy of the state is a, a girl who is herself harboring a really dark secret about the government. And at the start of the movie, they're also on the run from these really savage people called reavers. They're just insane. And and during the course of the movie, it comes out, this dark secret is revealed that the government is actually responsible for these terrible people. Here's, Here's what happened. The government, in all its wisdom, decided to help a community become more peaceable. By pumping a drug into their air that would calm them, um, make them less prone to fight. And it works too well. The people lose all fight. They completely give up on their lives. They actually let themselves die, let themselves starve. So when the heroes discover this secret and this community of, of dead people, they also discover this taped confession from one of the government scientists. And she reveals that a small percentage of the population, actually, they went the opposite way. They went aggressively insane. They became these cannibalistic reavers. So maybe I've turned you off to seeing this movie ever. (laughs) But I want to mention that the government scientist in her message, despite this catastrophic failure, these plans have gone so horribly wrong, she attempts to justify herself and the government. She says, people need to know we meant it for the best. Now that's an extreme and fictional example of hubris of this this pride, but that's really our condition. Naturally, we think our plans are right. Look at the beginning of verse 2. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. At our worst, we pridefully plan our lives independently of God. We work to benefit just ourselves. We're not submitted to God. But this is foolish. This morning we'll see that God establishes the plans of those who depend on Him. That's really just a paraphrase of verse 3, which we'll get into, but it's a loaded statement. God establishes the plans of those who depend on Him. And these surrounding verses in this passage support that statement, help us really understand it. First, we need to recognize this whole passage is about God. It makes Him the center and the determiner of life. These are statements about Yahweh, translated as the Lord, and that appears in eight of these nine verses. God is central in these statements. The writer wants you to know about God's character and the way He rules the world. He rules all human affairs. So maybe our first inclination is jump ahead. Yes, yes, get to the part where my plans are established, but... God is central. The success of our plans is rooted in and dependent on God's character and his purposes. So this passage compares the plans of a person's heart with the sovereign direction of the Lord. Look with me at verses 1 and 9. Verse 1. The plans of the Lord pl- the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Now verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Verses 1 and 9 are really similar. They, they make a nice unifying bookend to this passage. We can see the focus, the plans of our hearts, the sovereign direction of our Lord. The, our plans and God's purpose. These are married together in verse 3. Read with me. Commit your work to the Lord And your plans will be established. This is the only time in this passage where we're told to do something. We're commanded to commit our work to the Lord. And it's coupled with a promise, a result. Your plans will be established. So this promise of established plans, it's conditional on our committing our work to the Lord. We're going to use that command and the promise to direct our time. First, the command. Commit your work to the Lord. This isn't when you utter a token prayer to God, you ask Him to bless your already made plans. I'm guilty of that. Literally, this actually means to roll your undertakings onto God. We should be dependent on God because everything depends on Him. He rules over every human affair. We've already mentioned verse 1, but I want to look at it more closely. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. This is the interplay of God's role and our role. We plan and we do things, and God plans and does things. This verse is not meant to set man and God up as always opposed to one another, as if we plan and then God's make, God makes us say something we didn't intend on doing. That's not the point here. It, it affirms our uh, responsibility while affirming that God works through our own affairs. Our actions always fulfill what God ordains. It's a mystery to us. This phrase, answer of the tongue, it can be read to mean all the results of our planning. And also in in verse 9, read with me. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. It's meant to harmonize our responsibility and God's will. There's not this contradiction in Scripture between our will and God's sovereign control. It's both are affirmed. So this affirms our responsibility and our freedom to do things while also telling us that God rules everything. So everything already depends on Him. It makes sense for our posture toward Him to be dependent. And that's not a word our culture values at all. Dependent. Especially when it pertains to God. We like our independence. Another trait we undervalue that's required to stand before God is humility. To truly depend on God means we're humble before Him. We're submissive. God hates pride. Look at verse 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. It disgusts Him. Pride is disgusting to God. And God knows our, our true intents. Our, our ways are laid bare to him. Look at verse 2. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. If, if we have pride in our hearts, God is disgusted with us. And that verse 5 says, Be assured, the prideful will not go unpunished. Now on the other hand, look at the characteristics of people who please God who pleasing to God. Verse 6. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Now we have to understand this as we have to understand all of Scripture in light of what it meant to the original readers. These proverbs were given to the covenant people of God, to Israel. He'd given them his righteous laws, which of course they broke because no one is able to follow God's laws perfectly so they sinned they fell short of obeying but he'd also ordained ceremonial sacrifices to make restitution for sin so that they are able to continue worshipping him but what was really required in the midst of these ceremonies was true heart change none of the ceremonies or sacrifices would matter unless a person's heart was changed to truly love God to truly depend on Him, to truly fear Him as the one who sees our motives. God required repentance to turn from sin and required faith in Him, just as He requires today. So when verse 6 speaks of steadfast love and faithfulness, being able to atone for sin, those are things that characterize a truly changed heart toward God. Our hearts are dependent on God for forgiveness alone. That repentant change is made possible by holy reverence for God as one who sees our motives and we depend on Him for forgiveness. You can see how arrogance in our hearts is the exact opposite of that, the opposite of submission. So we see that tr- to truly commit our work to the Lord entails dependence, humility, and fear of God is the one who knows us through and through. It means that a significant change has taken place in you. It's not a token prayer. God, please bless what I'm already doing. Your motives change to center around God. Your purpose becomes His purpose. And your desire becomes His desire. And that all sounds good. But it's Impossible. We don't naturally fear God, so we don't plan our lives in dependence on Him. We've said a significant change must take place. Back when this passage was written to Israel, many had faith in God and they relied on His mercy for their failures and their pride. Then came Jesus, who was the true obedient Israelite, fully God and fully man, the one who submitted His will completely to His Father. He submitted even to the point of death. And His death truly atoned for sin. God required a perfect sacrifice in our place to truly atone for our sin. People who believe that Christ sacrificially died on their behalf, they're changed to their very core. Their motives change, their thoughts change. The work they do can truly be committed to God. What will it look like to commit our work to God it looks like acknowledging him as we plan things it looks like communion with him in prayer as we make our plans and our plans accord with his plans we're always making sure that we are in obedience to him our plans become pleasing to him cuz they align with his psalm 37 speaks of this it says delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart well to delight in the lord means that our desires Are vastly different from someone who doesn't delight in the Lord. So, do you have a changed nature? Have you placed your faith in Christ? Have you experienced that transformation? Do you fear the Lord? Do you turn away from evil? Are you characterized by faithfulness and steadfast love to God and others? Now, the promise your plans will be established. Hopefully you can see that this promise is qualified by that condition. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Your plans will only be established to the extent that they are God's plans, that they align with His. He's not going to help your purposes stand if they're opposed to His own purposes. But He will prosper you when you're obedient to Him. This isn't the gospel, the prosperity gospel that you'll hear from certain southern preachers. And it's not a secret law of attraction where positive thinking brings success and good things into your life. It's not that. I guess Mark was watching Happy Feet 2 the other night with your kids. Is that what was going on? The other night he texted me and he told me about a repeated mantra in that movie. If you want it, you must will it. If you will it, it will be yours. A lot of kids are going to be really disappointed if they adopt that. As a belief, you, we, we have to note, uh, the, the word translated plans here could also be translated thoughts. These are the intentions we have for our lives. And established means made firm, made solid and secure. So there's this very comforting meaning that as we rely on God, He makes our thoughts secure. We gain peace from him as his people. Sounds a lot like what Paul talks about in the book of Philippians chapter 4. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We rely on God. We roll our concerns onto him and he gives us peace. God has the authority to establish our thoughts and to bring our plans to pass. He is the creator, verse 4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose. The promise rests on God's power to bring it about. Without it, the promise is empty. It's a failure. He also exerts influence over our relationships to others. Verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now again, we have to understand this in the context of the Old Testament. God's covenant community, Israel, most of the community would have acknowledged God's existence. And if someone was experiencing God's blessing due to obedience, then it makes sense. People in the community would seek to be on good terms with them. So this is an, an observation that proverbs is giving us. Well, actually, our relationship to others matters greatly to God. The words in verse six, steadfast love and faithfulness, they have also been translated mercy and truth. Well, God doesn't need our mercy. Well, we must show mercy to others. People need our mercy. So God has the rule and power to bring our plans about, to affect our relationships with others, to truly grant us success as our purposes align with His. He has the rule and He has the power. The promise is conditional, but it allows for great freedom. You know, a lot of kids are brought up to think happiness is the only thing that matters. And a lot of people think to be a Christian means you give up on your dreams. You just... You surrender everything, and, and none, of your, none of your desires matter anymore, but it's just not true. It, it actually means true liberty to give birth to new ambitions and to grow goals that please God and serve others. The chance for creativity increases when you're unencumbered by selfishness and pride. My, my friend in Brooklyn, he, he started what amounts to a Kickstarter for church planting and missions projects and nonprofits. He's using the connecting power of the internet for projects that serve God and serve others. He's been called to use technology in this way. He is creative. He thinks deeply about how he can use his gifts and talents and his passions for the good of others and to show his love for God in obedience. It's called the Gospel Fund, in case you're interested in looking it up. Uh, I like speaking, I like teaching, I enjoy also budgeting and discussing smart financial decisions. So, you know, one dream I have is to travel around conducting school assemblies on avoiding college debt. You know, promoting God's ways of living wisely, uh, which help people to thrive. Can I tie that to loving God and loving others? Sure. It's completely possible. And I have freedom to pursue that and dream about that. Read Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor. I've started it. I haven't finished it. But it's amazing. There's some inspiring examples. A car dealer that decided he's going to abandon negotiation tactics altogether. He's just going to charge one fair price. It, I went on this car dealer's website uh, yesterday or the day before. They actually describe a covenant toward their customers to earn their trust. And Now, their margins aren't as huge as you know, predatory car dealerships. But they make up for it because their overhead isn't as high. I guess that negotiation tactics and time and staff, I guess those are expensive. So they save money without those. The owner loves God. He's made a work culture that serves people because of his love for God. His work is committed to the Lord. And from what I understand, his plans are established. They are experiencing success. He's pleasing the Lord because he's been changed by the one who pleased the Lord fully, Jesus. And we have our place in life to be a blessing to others, just as Israel was supposed to be a blessing to others. So ask yourself this morning, is that in your plans? We get to pursue what God has called us to personally. God's not this impersonal force. Uh, listen to this quotation from Oprah. Oprah because it's so close to true and then she totally loses it. She says I've She says I've come to believe that each of us has a personal calling that's as unique as a fingerprint and that the best way to succeed is to discover what you love and then find a way to offer it to others in the form of service, working hard, and also allowing the energy of the universe to lead you. She was there. But An impersonal force is not like Yahweh, not like the God of the Bible. It doesn't have a purpose like God does, nor a will to execute it. It isn't characterized by love and faithfulness, so it gives us nothing to aspire to or to emulate. God calls us to work that pleases Him, and He prospers us in it. To find our purpose in God's purpose also sets us free from completely identifying ourselves by our work. This morning, you know, the temptation for me even is to, to identify, to, to characterize myself and define myself. How, how well am I going to preach? But what sets me free is knowing that God's purpose is going to be fulfilled. It's a privilege to stand here and to preach God's words. And I, I have that security of knowing His plan is for you as His people, for all of us to be changed by His word. Now, all this is not to say that there won't be obstacles and trials to our plans, even when our intent is to please God. That could be a whole other sermon. We remain really limited in our knowledge of His plans. Mark said last week, God's content to unfold His plans over generations. God has the time. And we're here for just a fraction of that time. You never completely know what part you're playing in the grand arc of God's glory and his story of redemption. If you ever find your plans are frustrated, you can rest in the knowledge that God is sovereign and he's still working his purpose. Maybe he's protecting you from something. Maybe he aims to prosper you by keeping you from something that was foolhardy. Maybe your purpose was not truly in line with his. He weighs your spirit. Maybe rather than your enemies being at peace with you, you face persecution for seeking to please God. Right now, the wicked and the righteous exist alongside one another. This world often seems to reward the underhanded. Maybe you've experienced someone else getting a promotion from dishonesty while you've been passed over. Maybe someone got a really good grade on a test, but you know they cheated. Look at verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice." You get to be at peace with God. You get to sleep at night knowing that your ways before God are true and pure to the best of your ability. You're you're trying to honor God with your life. Look at the trajectory of the people that get ahead by underhanded means. Verse 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. They're headed for punishment from God himself. It's better to be righteous, even if you only succeed a little bit. Even if you have less than others, it's better to be righteous. Your relationship with God matters much more than those things. So God's purposes are going to be fulfilled. He's going to get his glory upon the wicked in justice. So don't forsake faithfulness and righteousness for purposes that are opposed to God. Because those purposes and those people, they're going to topple. And if you forsake God, so will you. But if you've truly been made righteous by Jesus, you get to be at peace with God no matter what and chase down your goals. You have the freedom to pursue your goals with abandon. God's ultimate purposes will not be thwarted, so neither will yours be when they're aligned with His. Ultimately, Paul says, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, who are called according to His purpose. So look at your life. Look at the posture of your heart. Are you submitted to God? Is your work committed to Him? Do you acknowledge him in your plans? Do you commune with him? The plans of a man's heart and the sovereignty of God. Those things are perfectly unified in Jesus. He alone harmonizes all these things. Pure motives, Jesus has them. Full submission, look to Jesus. Committing work to the Lord, look at Jesus. Establish plans because they align with God's. Again, Jesus the full example of this love and faithfulness. Jesus is our perfect example. He is what we aspire to. He's the image that God conforms us to. God's purposes working out through the wicked intent of men. Look at Jesus obedience in life and death. The death of Christ was ordained by God even though the men who performed it were wicked. So Jesus alone harmonizes God's plans and our plans. He lived and died in our place. Jesus performed every righteous thing for us so that we can now pursue any righteous thing. Are your plans going to be established? Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would change us, that you would give us lives that are committed to you and that are fully dependent on what Christ has done for us. I pray that Christ standing before you and our standing before you because of him would change our lives to allow us to pursue our dreams um, in obedience to you, in love and mercy to others. I pray that you would press this heart, press this truth into our hearts. I pray this things in Jesus' name. Amen.